0: Let's go to Luke chapter 17, Uh, Luke 17, verse 11, Uh, still talking about changing our world from the inside out and talking about faith today. And how do we do that Uh, from the scriptures? Luke 17, verse 11 says, now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were leprous, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Everybody just say with me, as they went. As they went, they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, We're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith. Has made you well. Now come with me to Hebrews 11. And we'll look at this again. And then we'll look at Mark 11. And then we'll see where it goes. (laughs) Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. Again, I'm going to keep restating this. The things that are seen did not come out of nothing. God did not create the seen world out of nothing. He formed the seen world out of things that were not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? And the world was made by the Word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the... Things which are invisible, right? So it's very clear then that faith connects us to the unseen things from which that which is seen finds its origin. Everything that is seen originates from something that is not seen. And faith connects you to those things that are not seen in the place of origin. Right? Okay. Now, I, I've, I've, I've told you, you know, some translations say faith is the confidence or the assurance. We've talked about how that's not correct. The word there, the Greek word, is hypostasis. Hupostasis. And it had a, a, a metaphysical meaning, an alchemical meaning, if you will. But it also had a, um, it was used in the first century to describe a title deed. Uh. So the amplified version of the Bible says faith is the, probably assurance, but then it goes on in brackets and says the title deed of what you hope for, right? I means you own it, right? Now, if you go with the common modern translation, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, then what you're left believing is that, that faith means that you really believe something is going to happen. Or let's put it this way. You really believe you're going to have something. So let's say you need healing. Let's just take that for example. So if I can believe I'm going to have healing hard enough and strong enough, then that kind of works within that translation, or it might even teach me that. Does that make sense? So some people's idea of faith is I've just got to believe really hard that I'm going to have it. (sighs) But if you say faith is the title deed of it, then faith is not believing that it's going to happen. Faith is, or, or that you're going to have it, let's put it that way. Faith is not believing really strongly that it is going, to, that you are going to have it. Faith is believing you already have it before you possess it. You already have it before you see it. That's the only way you can work in the realm out of which everything originates. Mark 11. Twenty-two. Uh, <laughs> All right. So your older Bibles, some of them, when it says Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Some of your older Bibles will have a footnote by it and you can look in the footnote and it says, have the faith of God. And I'm convinced after digging around in it with my obsessive compulsive disorder to find out what's actually being said I'm convinced that's the right translation not have faith in God have the faith of God have the same kind of faith that God has make sense have the faith of God for assuredly I say to you whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt but believes in his heart uh, I'm sorry but does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says never said God would move the mountain. See, if, if, if God is the object of my faith, here's why this is important. If it's faith in God, then I have to produce faith. I have to muster it up and give it to God. And then when God collects enough of it, he moves the mountain. Now, you know that's not what's said, but if you think about it at a deep level, that's how we think. If it says, have the faith of God, it's reversed. I become the recipient of the faith that God has to use to move the mountain in the earth. And the mountain doesn't move in response to God. The mountain moves in response to me. And that's actually what Jesus said. Jesus did not say the mountain would move in response to God if you believed him hard enough. He said if you have the faith of God and you put it to work, the mountain will move in response to you. So that's why Jesus can look at the leper and say your faith has made you well. That's why he could look at the woman with the issue of blood. Your faith has saved you. That's why when Peter's sinking in the water, he can say, Where was your faith? Not where was God? Where was God while I was drowning in the water? No, he didn't say that. He said, Where's your, where, where is your faith? And when they're on the boat, you remember the story? They're on the boat, and there's a storm, and they're all trying to bail water. And Jesus stands up, and he rebukes three things he rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves. And he turns and rebukes his disciples. He says, to the wind, peace. He says, to the wave, be still. He turns to the disciples. How is it that you had no faith? (laughs) All right, keep reading. Verse 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray... Believe that you receive them. It's actually stronger in the Greek. When you pray, believe that you have received it. Or in the Greek, it means and believe that it was an event that took place in the past. And you shall have it. Whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe it already took place. And you will have it. Right? Faith is the title deed of the things that you hope for, right? So one of the things that helped me was when I realized, because I'm a minister, none of you will be able to relate to this on the same level that I will, but it really helped me to realize that most of what we do as church today is really comes out of show business. It's show business. Just, and I'm not, that is, I'm not putting a judgment on it. I'm not saying it's right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent. I'm just saying look at the Christian music industry. It mirrors any other music industry in the sense that it's show business. Now they're coming out with a new movie um, about uh, the circus. Who's the guy? Barnum? I don't know if any of you have seen the previews. They're coming out with a new movie. It's got Hugh Jackman in it. He plays the Barnum character or whatever. And at the end of the preview he's sitting next to someone and he says to him uh you want to join the circus whatever they're talking and he says well it's show business and the guy says i've never heard of it and the barnum character responds and says that's because i just invented the term i just invented the term now here's what i want you to see so i've been a student of like healing revivals specifically for since forever and There was a very powerful divine healing movement in the early part of the last century. About the same time that show business is on the rise in our culture. Because it wasn't always there. So you have the church, particularly in regards to the issue of faith healing, and... The world humanity on this trajectory towards show business. And what happened was, if you go back and watch, just go back and watch any of the healing revivals, it was show business, particularly I, I love A.A. A. Allen. Uh, and, and again, this is not a judgment or a criticism, but if you watch, you, you can just Google or put in YouTube A.A. A. Allen and you can watch. The revivals that he would do and they would they would introduce him uh, R.W. Shambach would introduce him. I don't know if any of you know who Schambach is, but R.W. Schambach would introduce him and he would say, OK, and now it's time for God's man of the hour. God's man of faith and power. A.A. A. Allen. And, and it was all it was show business. Yeah. And so the way you got healed was through God's man of faith and power. They would never, now here's the thing, they would never turn to someone and say, your faith made you well. In fact, to imply that is to somehow take credit and glory away from God. Or at least that's what they want you to think. Because <laughs> the way the model would be was, we've got to give all the glory to God. Here's how it works. Here's how the show business part of it works. We've got to give all the glory to God And then subliminally, subconsciously, what we're saying is, is I have the ability to get God to do stuff that you don't have the ability to get God to do. So I didn't do it. I'm not the man who did. The power doesn't come from me. The power comes from God. The power certainly doesn't come from you. We're not going to credit you. But it doesn't come from me either. But I'm demonstrating that God responds to me better than he responds to you. Which is why we have to give the glory to God. Think about it, because if it's something that a human being can do and you're a human being, you might get a clue that you might have access to the same exact thing. And there goes the show. See, doing the acrobatic stuff like the Cirque du Soleil stuff or whatever is not nearly as impressive if everybody can do it. You're not going to pay to see it. Ah, so Jesus didn't operate that way. You don't see Jesus anywhere in there glorifying or exalting himself. You see him continually reflecting as a mirror back to the person. So that really Jesus never wanted to become the idol. He was demonstrating and manifesting the ideal. He wasn't just trying to awaken a consciousness. He, he wasn't trying to awaken a consciousness in you of himself so that you would worship him. He was trying to awaken a consciousness in you of who you could become as a son and a daughter of God. So therefore, the works that I do, you shall do also. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to my father. You see it? So that he's always giving the power away. And he's giving the secrets away. You see it. So here's the thing with the guys with the leprosy. Ten, ten lepers come and he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, that doesn't mean much to us if we don't understand that in the law and in, in Leviticus, you can only go show yourself to the priest if you've been healed. You would go show yourself to the priest if you'd been healed so that you could reintegrate by way of the priesthood, you could reintegrate back into the community. So to have leprosy, I used to think leprosy was like some kind of skin rot or something. And I'll let uh, the medical people in the house correct me if I'm wrong after the message, preferably not in the middle. (laughs) So I don't keep making a fool of myself, but it's my understanding that the leprosy doesn't really cause the the skin itself to rot. It kills the nerve endings and lepers lived. They they did not really have homes. They lived in leper colonies with rats and all kinds of different things. So they would go to sleep or whatever and they have no nerve endings and these things would come and feast on them. So they would be missing parts of their skin where the leprosy was. So they weren't whole. So he says, go show yourself to the priests. And it says, as they went, they were healed, which means they had to act like they were already healed before they were healed. Right? Then one returns to give thanks. And when he returns to give thanks, it says he was made whole. Which means now a creative miracle is taking place. See, it's one thing to be healed of the disease, but I'm still missing my nose where the the rat nodded off or whatever. I'm sorry. Jeez. Lord, help me. My God, why does anybody ever come back to this church to listen to me? I have no idea. I really don't. I love you people. God bless you. May you just have glowing crowns in heaven. (sighs) May you shine brightly like stars. (laughs) So you get rid of the leprosy, but you don't you're not made whole. But see, the one comes back and gives thanks. And the one who came back to give thanks makes whole. And he says, your faith has made you whole. So here's the other point. Faith has a momentum to it that you have to maintain. See, faith, really, faith isn't something that we can just, when we want it, we, we use it. Faith is something that has to become a lifestyle. Paul said, the just shall live by faith. But see, faith isn't just believing in God, and faith isn't just believing God's going to do something. Faith is accessing who you really are in Christ as a son and daughter of God, and manifesting it in the physical dimension in acts of power. But faith is not believing I'm going to get something or believing that I will have something. Faith is believing I already have it before I possess it. So if we're talking about changing from the inside out, we're talking about the inner workings of faith. So let's review. In the in the in the King James I like uh Mark 11:24 better because it says whatsoever things you desire when you pray believe that you have received them. So faith begins with desire. Where there is no desire there could be no faith. Whatsoever things you desire. So the first thing I have to do, go back a couple messages, I have to clarify what is it that I desire? What is it that I want? Then the second thing that I have to do is I have to decide, which means I cut off other options and I say this is the potential reality that I'm going for. And we call that setting your intention. I am going to have fill in the blank. Right. You're still not in faith. I'm going to have. But it's part of the process. See, if faith is a substance of things hoped for, you cannot get to faith unless you first have hope. Hope. So you cannot change anything where there is no hope and you cannot believe for anything where there is no hope and hope is connected to desire. Nobody ever said, I'm hoping something really bad happens today. I'm hoping for a disaster. I'm hoping the phone rings and I really get bad news. That's called worry, stress, anxiety and I'm really good at it. I have masterfully developed that skill and trait. Hope is always something good is going to happen. So it has to be born of desire, right? So I have to desire, and then I have to set my intention. I'm going to have that. The moment I do that, I move into hope. Now, I don't force anything to happen from that point, right? Where I'm, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do anything I can to make it happen. I have to let it happen i have to allow it to happen i have to be the guy that plants the seed in the ground sleeps night and gets up by the day and the seed springs up and grows and he knoweth not how right but that doesn't mean i walk away from the plant either and ignore it and don't give it any attention but there's a difference between attending to crops and forcing crops So then the question becomes, how do I attend to what's going on without forcing? How do I allow it to grow, but still attend to it? And Jesus gives us the answer. We're not there yet. You're ahead of me. Believe that you have received it, and you shall have it. So this is the process of faith. So when I set my intention, I plant the seed. I'm in hope. But to move from hope to faith, when I move from hope to faith, is the moment that I'm fully convinced I already have it, even when I don't. Before that, I'm just in hope. Okay. Faith is the title deed of what you hope for. It means you have present tense possession. Or faith is what gives you the right to possess in the natural, what you've already possessed in the invisible, which means that through the eyes of my heart, I have to see myself with it before I get it. All right, let's I tell by the way you're looking at me. Come with me to Ephesians (laughs) one. Ephesians one. So you, you would really be—I mean, I love the new translations and stuff, but really, I keep coming back to the New King James because for me, it's the most faithful to the original. So it's—it's it's great to have all these, you know, the Message Bible and the NIV and the Passion Translation and all that's great. But if you want to really get to the meaning of something, I've, I just the New King James is hard to beat. And even here, it's—it's it's not great. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, look at verse 18, that the eyes of your understanding, now, there would, if, in some Bibles there's a footnote there, because understanding the eyes of your mind is what he's talking about, in your mind's eye. Or, some translations say the eyes of your heart, your inner vision, your ability to imagine something. So we could read it that way. That your ability to imagine something would be enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. So in other words, your imagination has to become illuminated to your hopes. Your imagination has to become illuminated to what you have the right to possess as an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And your imagination has to become illuminated to the reality of God's power working in your life. It has to be settled in the imagination, in the mind's eye, or in the eye of the heart first before anything else can happen. Therefore, you cannot be in faith, and you cannot manifest, and you cannot access the things that God wants you to access as a child of God without actively engaging your imagination and seeing yourself as already having it before it shows up. It is not enough to talk like you have it. It is not enough to act like you have it. You have to see yourself in your imagination with it because it's the eyes of your heart that connect you to the unseen hope. It is the eyes of your heart through the revelation of the Spirit of Wisdom and revelation, and the revelation of the Holy Spirit that connects you to the things that you possess as a child of God that are in the unseen realm. And so it's through your imagination and the eyes of your heart that you work faith in order to get the title deed to the thing that you're hoping for and present evidence of what you cannot see. So you have to incubate the answer in the, the, the womb of your imagination before it ever shows up in the physical. And you have to understand where you're at in the process. So I set my intention and then what I do is in my imagination, I convince myself, I make it so real in the womb of my imagination that I'm convinced that I already have it. So I have the feeling that I already have it so that it's settled that I already have it. And when I get to that place, the switch of faith is turned on. Then what I say is coming from a place of power. And then how I act is coming from a place of power, not from a place of need. Because, see, and, and most people are unconscious. You are imagining all the time. All the time you're imagining a new reality. All the time. But it's unconscious. And so what we can do is, we, let's, let's take lack. We talked about healing. Let's talk about lack. Unconsciously. Okay, let me give you an example from my own life. My mom, I'm convinced, God rest her soul. Love you, mom. Was a bit, just a wee bit, of a compulsive hoarder. I know, cause I lived with her for the last five years. Where's Scott? Scott knows, cause he helped us move them from Belmont out to our house, and we're moving stuff like ketchup bottle, like like. Yeah, I know this is gross, but okay, let's get away from some of the gross stuff. There was a spray can, black and white, back when generic was all black and white. How many of you remember that? A spray can for, to waterproof your shoes. How many you remember that? You know, you're going to waterproof your shoes and you get this aerosol spray can? from 19, And then the date on it was like 1970-something. And you shake it, it's got a little bit of something still in it. That thing moved from Avondale to the Mesa Junction to Belmont, and was attempting to move its way to my house <laughs> in Boulder <Publisk, laughs> West until I intervened. <laughs> now, that kind of an OCD order, that kind of an OCD thing, is born of anxiety. Which is born of the fear of lack. Which is born from a deep place in the imagination that you'll never have enough. Which comes from being raised by parents who went through the depression. So I have the vibration, the emotional vibration of lack patterning me as I'm growing up. Drives Julie crazy. I do this I do this thing. Like it's the little unconscious things that we do that we don't notice that tells us what's really going on. Like I never finish the last swallow. Yeah, there we go. Like never. But I but I didn't know I, it took my wife to show me this pattern. And she'd say, How come you never finish the last swallow in your drinks? Because that's the backwash. And I'm not drinking the backwash. And she looks at me, she says, don't you swallow your spit all day long? Wait wait a minute. (laughs) You mean for 45 years, I've been telling myself, I don't drink the last swallow because I don't want to drink the backwash. But when you say that, and see now I'm like the psychology background, that's what you call a thought distortion. That's what you tell yourself to cope. The reality is I don't drink that last swallow because it's the last and there may not be more. Which is why I don't finish the last bite on my plate. <laughs> Which is why I don't throw out my last pair of athletic socks that I bought. from. Them. <laughs> Which is why I don't eat the last of the M&M's or the graham crackers. Or the last cookie, or any of that stuff, because it's born from that patterning of there's not going to be enough. So, 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 so I'm 16. I'm 16 years old. 16 years old. Getting ready to go to college. And, I, and my parents, my dad had lost his business. My mom was working. Uh, my mom was a housewife up until then. She's working a, a retail job to try to make ends meet. I'm getting ready to go off to college and I come home and my dad had bought like these these crystal sort of chandelier things for my mom for one of her anniversaries and it hung them all up and so we had these nice really crystal chandeliers. He had traded somebody a bag of feed or something for it and I remember him polishing them up and they're beautiful, right? And I walk in the house and the chandeliers are gone and those old light fixtures are back. I'm like, what are those old light fixtures? And I hear my dad down in the basement. I go down in the basement and my dad's tearing apart our pool table. Like a madman. I'm like, what's going on, Dad? He says, the sheriff came and served us with uh, uh, papers that we have to get out of the house. And we have seven days to do it. And my dad, you know, they could not afford lawyers and and they weren't the most educated people. And they came from that generation. You just do what the people in authority tell you to do. So they packed up 25 years of their life in seven days and moved from 40 acres and a nice house to a garbage dump of a double wide trailer rental that was rat infested and cockroach infested in a week. Now that's a trauma. That imprints on the soul, there comes a day, there comes a time, when you don't have enough. So now I'm dealing with lack, right? So I go my first year to to college, and I get Pell Grants, and I get all this stuff, and, and, and and, and I make it through financially, whatever. And then I go to financial aid, and they want the last two years of your income. Your parents' income. So my parents went from whatever kind of salary they were making before when my dad had the business and they were thriving to whatever my mom had made that year, working retail. Because my dad wasn't able to get another job because of all kinds of illegal entanglements and whatever else was going on. So they said, well, you're going to have to come up with X amount of dollars because we go off two years income, not just one year income. So I couldn't afford to go back to school. So now I can't get my degree. And I was taught my whole life because my dad didn't want me sweating, lifting bags, <laughs> feed and working in the fields and whatever else like him. And so he never taught me to do anything. It was crazy. But I try to get my dad to teach me how to do stuff. And he'd, he'd stop. He'd say, no, because you're not going to work with your hands. You're going to work with your mind. And the way you do that is you go get a college education. Now I can't get a college education. What does that embed inside of me? Right? And so what's going on at an unconscious feeling level is all this stuff. So now I reach a point of lack in my life, right? I need, I need money. And so I can pray. I can believe I have received. I can walk the floor and give thanks. That's why I said we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Thank you, Lord, that I have enough. Thank you, Lord, that you meet all my need according to your riches and glory. Thank you, Lord. I'm doing all this stuff. But what I don't realize is that in my mind, I'm doing it from a fear of not having enough. I'm not doing it from a real faith, a place of faith that I already possess abundance. Because see, in my imagination, if I get quiet enough, this is why meditation is so crucial. Because when you quiet the regular stream of consciousness up here, it opens up what's really going on down here. And a lot of it's junk. And so from a place of, so I'm believing from an imagination that says, I don't want to end up there. I don't want to end up losing my house. I don't want to end up uh, using the last whatever and not being able to get access to another one. So I'm believing, but I'm believing in order to avoid what I don't want, not possess what I'm hoping for. You see the difference? Get a diagnosis go to the doctor get a diagnosis you have the c word right cancer you have cancer immediately start flipping through the rolodex what does that mean because your 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 mind your conscious mind especially has to process meaning what does that mean chemotherapy hair falling out getting sick slow painful death (laughs) funeral kids growing up without a parent that fast in the imagination i better get in faith but i'm getting in faith in order to avoid what i don't want not possess what i do want so the whole time i'm naming it and claiming it the whole time i'm confessing and possessing the whole time i'm acting like i'm healed it's coming from a place deep in my imagination That's saying I'm not. And see, here's the issue. The imagination is the incubator. Not what I'm saying and doing. What I'm saying and doing is seen. Not faith. See, I was taught it's faith if you say you got it. That's not faith. Jesus said if you have faith, you'll say. Oh, it's an important distinction. So faith is walking around saying I'm healed when I'm sick. That's what I was taught faith was. Jesus didn't say that. He said, if you have faith, you'll see. But you have to get faith before you can say anything and have it happen. So what I'm faithing for is lack. What I'm faithing for is disease. And I'm trying to cope with that. And so faith is Unseen. Faith goes on in a realm nobody can see. See, if I'm sick and I go around saying I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm operating in the scene. If my body is deteriorating and I refuse to go to the doctor because I've got to go show myself to the priest, you know, I've got to act like I got it before I got it, that's the scene realm. None of that is faith. None of it. All of that is only and can merely be, it's either a coping mechanism to deal with what you really fear and believe and you don't want to admit to yourself, or it is the byproduct of genuine faith, but it is not faith itself. Because faith is in the eyes of the heart. (laughs) So I grow up with, there's, you better not eat that last cookie because there may not be. Enough. I grow up holding on to stuff that really should have gone in the trash can a long time ago. Hoping that I'll have enough. Patterned inside my picture making faculty, lack. Right? So, in order to come to faith for abundance, I have to work in that arena that nobody can see inside my heart. So it requires that I have the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of my mind and the eyes of my heart may be illuminated to a reality that's in the unseen world but has not yet manifested itself. And I learn how to work and operate from that place and out of that realm. And when I do that, then stuff really begins to happen. Is that making sense to you? Faith is the title deed, so I'll give you one last illustration to help you understand. When we bought our house in Belmont, we bought our first house. And the issue for us was we had to... um, uh, we, We closed on the house, but the other family was building a house. And so for a month or two months after we closed on the house... They still didn't have their house. The only way they'd do the deal, the seller, was if they would allow us to rent to them until they could move into their new house. So we go to the bank. They say you can borrow the money to buy it. We go to the title company, because remember, faith is the title deed. We go to the title deed, the title company. We sit down and we sign the paperwork. At that moment, there is a transference of ownership, but there is not a transference of possession. And it's a crucial difference. Up until that time, the people who owned the house were paying their own mortgage. And they had rights to the house (laughs) because they owned it so they could live there. Now, he was a cop. So if I go busting into his house while he owns it, he's probably going to shoot me. But at the very least, he's going to take me down and arrest me. Right? Or call some of his buddies. Because I don't have a right to it. Because I don't have the title deed. The moment we sit down and do the paperwork, there's a transfer of ownership, I have the title deed... Now he's paying me instead of the mortgage company. His mortgage company gets paid off. He's paying me instead of the mortgage company. But here's the thing. I still can't go over to his house and try to possess it because I have the right to the property. I have the title deed, but I don't yet have possession. Huge change. There's a transference of property, but I still don't possess it. Now, if I'm all messed up about that, here's what I could do. I could go sign the title deed and think, okay, well, I'm going to move into my house. And then I show up at the house and there's Mr. Police Officer saying, no, you cannot move into this house. We still have the right to possess this. And I get all confused and I say, what, you mean I, I can't move into my house? So I call up Mary. Uh, Mary was my realtor. So I call up Mer- Mary and say, hey, Mary, um, you need to show us some more houses. Because that signing those papers didn't work. So we start the process all over again, looking at houses. And she's like, no, you don't understand. You own the house. No, if I own the house, I'd be in the house. I don't own the house. They won't let me in the house. we got to start all over. Or I confuse ownership with possession, and I start pretending like I live in the house. So I go in there, try and throw Mr. Police Officer out of his bed, and... <laughs> What are you doing? Throw me out. of uh, Well, I own this house. Yeah, I know you own it, but you can't have it yet. Yeah, but I'm acting like I have it. (laughs) See it? So we make one or two mistakes. But see, so the moment you hope for something, you still don't possess it. You still don't own it. You don't have a spiritual right to it just because you hope it will happen. Just because you prayed it will happen. Just because you believed it will happen. You do not have a spiritual right yet. When you become convinced, see, Jesus taught us this, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. The moment that you believe that it's already happened is the moment in the spiritual dimension where there is a transference of ownership. And now and only now do you actually have a right for it to show up because any other time before that, you're a thief and a robber. So that's a person who prays, doesn't understand the process. Maybe comes to a point that, oh, I appointed church because, man, I heard an inspirational message. And yes, I believe I've received my abundance. I believe I've received my new job. I believe I've received my healing. I believe I've received whatever. Breakthrough from my bad temper, whatever. Right? I've got it. I know it's mine. And then I walk out the door and... The pain comes back. I walk out the door, or two two weeks later, I'm still feeling the pain. I walk out the door, I go back to the doctor. The doctor says, yeah, nothing's changed. I go back to my post office box, and there's nothing but bills. That job I applied for, I didn't get, whatever. And so I say, oh, I don't own a house. And I call Mary. Because I confused the title deed with possession. I thought it should happen immediately. Jesus didn't say that. Believe you have received it, and you will have it. So I go back up to go, oh, God, and I start the process all over again. And at that minute, I forfeit the title deed that I possessed. I hand it back over. Or I do this, and this is where we get into trouble with, with disease. I always crack up because, you know, like, like we, get, we get a headache, we take an aspirin. We get a cold we, or allergies, we take Benadryl. I do, right? We get a cancer diagnosis, and suddenly we're not going to go to the doctor because we're in faith, and if I don't go to the doctor, I'm acting like I don't have it. So it's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, that's like I never work out, lift weights in my life, and I'm going to go sign up for the next powerlifting competition and expect to win. <laughs> Like, I have no practice with this at all, and now that the chips are really down, now that it's really on the line and my life is in danger, now oh, now I've got enough faith to stay away from the doctor. And that's me, to use my metaphor, showing up (laughs) at Mr. Policeman's house the day after I signed the title deed with my moving van and saying, okay, we're moving in. See, I can't act like I possess it till I actually possess it. The rest of the time I'm working in the unseen realm. Does that make sense? So that using faith responsibly means I don't write faith checks. See, when the faith movement, see, because it wasn't faith. What they taught us in the faith movement, some of it was not faith. So people would throw away their eyeglasses. They go into a healing meeting, throw away their eyeglasses and try to drive home. Right? Or quit taking their insulin. Or, or right. how about this? Write, write faith checks to the church. Or to pay your bills. I'm going to write a faith check because I'm believing I got it. And I'm going to put that check in the mail and it's going to show up and people are, you know, acting crazy. Because they think faith is what goes on in the scene realm. Faith is not what goes on in the scene realm. Faith always goes on in a place where no one else can see. In the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my imagination. Or I become fully persuaded that what God has promised, He is able also to perform, and that I have already put the title deed to the thing that I'm hoping for. Yeah. And then I wait and allow the process to happen and act appropriately until I actually have possession. I don't write the check. I can write the check, but I don't mail it. Until the money's in the bank, so I might write the check as a way to show that I believe that I have received it, but I don't put it in the mail until I actually have it. See, so you've heard the story of Jim, Jim Carrey. Maybe maybe you have, maybe you haven't. I'll just close with it. How many know Jim Carrey, the actor? So he's doing some really pretty cool stuff. Like like he's he's recently. I don't know. He's he's kind of like come into this thing. I saw a quote from him, you know, people, the biggest mistake people make is they think that fame and fortune will make them happy. And so now he's come to this place where he's doing all kinds of things. I saw a video where he's professing Jesus and he's doing all kinds of things to advance the kingdom of God with his position and money now. But the way he broke into Hollywood, is an interesting story. The way he broke into Hollywood was actually using these principles. He wrote himself a check. He, he, he had made up, manufactured a check from one of the picture companies for $7 million or something like that and put his name to it and hung it like up on his refrigerator or something. I'm getting some of the details wrong. What's that? Above his bed. Above his bed. Thank you. And then he would drive to one of the hills that, uh, you know, where you could park and it would overlook Hollywood. And he would just get out and he would talk to Hollywood. So he's talking to the mountain and he would say, everybody in this town wants to work for me or work with me. I'm I have all kinds of uh, acting parts and roles. I'm playing a part in a big movie. Notice the languaging. And so that he continually, before he got the fame and the fortune, he incubated it in the womb of his imagination over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Rejection letter after rejection. He'd get a rejection letter. He'd go drive up there, get out of the car. Everybody in this town wants to work with me. I'm a big star. Only now he's gotten to the place where he realizes everything I used just say it this way my faith to create didn't accomplish for me what I thought it was going to accomplish for me because you can have all the fame and all the fortune and still not be happy. So now I've got to find something that gives my life a deeper sense of meaning and he's finding a different path. Which brings me back to the power of intention. You have to make sure you Clarify what you really want before you start the journey. And one of the ways you can do that, and then we'll close with this, is when you get into the realm of your imagination and you say, when I have, I want a new whatever. You have to ask yourself the question, when I possess X, What will that give me that's even more important? And it will lead you to a deeper realm of want and need. And help you clarify. We want to have kids. We want to have kids. We want to have kids. Why? I don't know because everybody has kids. And we used to talk to people that had kids, and they would say, oh, man, it'll change your life forever. I'll never forget, we're standing in line at a, a big-name preacher meeting waiting to get in. Why we did Because it's show business. So we wanted our front row seat. And we're talking to this lady, and she said, have you guys had, do you guys have any kids? And we said, no. And she said, wait, I say on the Lord. <laughs> and people would tell us, oh, kids will change your life. Oh, there's so much work. And then it's like they would say, but it's worth it. And we always wondered, is that but it's worth it, just what you tell yourself to cope so you don't totally lose your mind? Or do they really believe that? (laughs) So what is it about kids? What is it that having kids, what is that going to give you that's even more important to you? And when we were able to clarify that, we could get to our desired outcome. Listen to this very carefully and I'm done. We could get to our desired outcome without by letting go of our required outcome. Because all the reasons for having kids and having a family had nothing to do with whether or not we could actually reproduce it with our own DNA. On that list was never, I want to hand down the Tomlinson traits. Some of you met my dad <laughs> this thing that, that, there's this thing this this, this this tremor this this thing that runs through my family. I remember uh, going to my grandparents and my grandpa. he was so stubborn he wouldn 't let anybody do anything for him, and he would get his own sugar to his coffee and it 's this thing where you, you have a tremor and it 's a neurological thing, and he would put a scoop of sugar. And he'd shake sugar all the way across the table. So there's barely a little bit of sugar left in his his thing. He'd put it in there. So he'd do like eight things, you know, instead of just letting grandma do it for him. Finally, she bought him sugar cubes. (laughs) And that runs in Julie's family. This has absolutely nothing to do with faith. The tremor thing, right? And so I thought, you know... If our DNA comes together and they get confused in there, you might feel that kid vibrating in the womb. (laughs) And we just realized our genetics had nothing to do with wanting to be parents. So we were able to let go of our required outcome that we have our own kids And Pursue a pathway of adoption so that we could get to the desired outcome, which was the real fulfillment that we wanted with having children See that's why he puts the seed in the ground and it grows and he knoweth not how Because when you start trying to figure out the how you lock yourself into a required outcome and miss your desired outcome But when you just simply sit there and believe that you have received and you allow, don't get triggered, the universe to respond to you because it's not God. If I say you let God respond to you, I'm putting you back under the old paradigm where you have to believe God enough so he does something for you. Jesus said the mountain would move for you. You put faith out there, the mountain will respond. You put faith out there, your body will respond. Your faith made you whole. You put faith out there, the tree will respond. If you say to the tree, be a prudent plant in the seed, it will obey you. So I put it out there and I'm working it and I allow the ground, which is the world, to respond to the seed until it gives me what I have the title deed and the right to absolutely possess because it was revealed to me by the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the incubation of my imagination. Does that make sense to you? Does that help you? I hope so. I get out of the how. How's this gonna happen? I'm gonna get this job. I'm gonna get this. no, I'm gonna have, you know. I'm incubating it and I'm letting whatever. However that works, I'm letting the rest of that figure it out. God, if you will. I'm letting God figure out all the details, handle all the details. I'm just holding on to my title deed. In the theater of my imagination. And if I do that long enough, I'll start talking like I have it. And if I do that long enough, I'll start acting like I'm having it. But it's the byproduct. Not the faith itself. If you have faith, you will say. See it? Does that help you? Does that come together for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray, Lord, that this will be helpful to people to really begin to co-create and manifest their dreams, their desires, and your will and purpose for our lives. We give you thanks for it. Um, Help us, guide us, lead us, Holy Spirit, in these things as we walk these things out. And I give you thanks for any wisdom that would be downloaded today. Uh, Let us receive from you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Let the eyes of our mind, the eyes of our understanding, the eyes of our heart be illuminated, that we may know the hope, that we may know what we possess, that we may know the power that's at work in us. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.